0: Today's sermon comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, verses 7 through 13. O Lord, you have enticed me, and I was enticed. You have overpowered me, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I must cry out, I must shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, Then, within me, there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot, for I hear the many whispering, terror is all around, denounce him, let us denounce him. All my close friends are watching for me to stumble. Perhaps he can be enticed, and we can prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble, and they will not prevail. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten O Lord of hosts, you test the righteous. You see the heart and the mind. Let me see your retribution upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of evil doers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: My friends, it's a joy to be with you in worship on this fine Father's Day. And since I have the prestige and, I guess, authority to stand in this pulpit, that's not the right word, the privilege to stand in this pulpit, I'm going to say, Big Poppy, my dad, happy Father's Day to you. Thanks for being such a good man in my life and teaching me how to be something of a man and my brother something of a man. We're not quite at your level. but." you give us much to aspire to. And to all fathers everywhere, bless you. Let us pray before we encounter this lament of our brother, the prophet Jeremiah. God, we need you now. It's hardly been more apparent that we need you now more than, more than ever. It's hard to come up with words, God, so we pray that your spirit is here and that your spirit works through me and works through the congregation to birth some fresh insight into our hearts, to, to be more like you and to be about your kingdom. God, you and I know that without you I can do nothing, so we do pray for your spirit, your gracious spirit, to teach us and lead us to comfort us and also to correct us, to guide us. It's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray, amen. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Ministry in 2020 was not supposed to be like this. We had plans. Last Sunday as I came to help facilitate worship, I went to my study, I sat down and I looked at the itinerary of our Holy Land pilgrimage. And on that day, last Sunday, we were supposed to be at Caesarea Philippi. This morning, as I looked at that same itinerary at my desk in my study, I saw that our last day would be Friday, June 19th, Juneteenth, and we were going to be at St. George's Episcopal Cathedral in Jerusalem. Why there? Because this great church commissioned a stained glass window for that great church sometime in the mid-20th century, and we were going to get to see it. I have dreamt of going to the Holy Land as a pilgrimage. I have looked forward to it, and at best, it's postponed. It wasn't supposed to be like this in 2020. We had plans. You had plans, too. We were going to start a respite care ministry for people who happen to have cognitive decline. We were going to start a podcast. And that's just on top of all the stuff that we already knew that we were going to do, like celebrate Easter and have all these wonderful VBS kids running around our hallways and sending our high school seniors off well and cast tours. It wasn't supposed to be like this. It's hard. It's enough to make a brother like me question the vocation. It's enough to make someone like me say maybe I should just give up. It is so hard. But this isn't a sermon for preachers and ministers who are paid by churches alone, there's a great tradition out of Scripture and throughout Christianity called the priesthood of all believers. You see, you may not be called vocationally to serve a church full-time, but if you name, have the name of Christ on you and Christ claims you, then you have a vocation to Christ's kingdom work wherever you go, whether it's in the operating room or the courthouse or even in a drive through fast food line. Wherever you go, you're to take the message of God and speak to the people of the world about what God wants for this world. You're to bring justice wherever there is none. You are to bring light where there is darkness. You are to bring the kingdom wherever you go and to whomever you speak with. We all have that vocation as Christians, and I know that you have continued your ministries in this time of spiritual exile, and maybe you, like me, say, this is hard. I mean, how do we evangelize when we're not supposed to be close to each other? I mean, how do we feed the, the hungry and cure sick people, and how do we go about doing our work, our good kingdom work, when we're mostly in our homes or we're behind a mask, I was walking in Kroger yesterday and a guy stopped me and called me a name. He called me William. And I looked at him and he was, oh, I thought you were someone else. We're unrecognizable to each other. It's all just so hard in 2020. It's enough to make us doubt and even say, I want to give up. That's why we turn to Jeremiah for some solace. I don't know the exact date, but it was hard in his time. He was called by God to speak the words of God to the people of God. It's a big task. And at the time of his ministry, right in the middle point of his ministry, the Babylonian empire was growing quite large and pressing up against Israel. And so he started ringing the alarm bells to the people of danger, of impending danger and doom and domination. And his own people turned on him. I hope you heard it in that soup. Herb reading from Dr. Wirtman, the pain in Jeremiah's heart that the people are wanting to make him a scapegoat. They want to turn on him. They decry him. Put the blame on Jeremiah. And in lament, he cries out to God. In lament, he's honest to God about his feelings. In lament, he reaches out to the only one he can reach out to. God, why did you do this to me? (laughs) Maybe he questions his vocation too. Maybe he wants to throw his hands up in the air and say, that's enough. I know it's hard right now for all of us. 2020, it's hard to stand here or to stand on the street or to sit in your home and be on the computer and proclaim the words of God to the world. It is just so fraud. It is hard for me to try to tell you I think the word of God for the day is that it's not good enough being not racist. That we actually as Christians must go farther than that and be anti-racist. That we actually have to do good internal work and look deep inside of ourselves and ask, where is there a bias? Is there still bias? And I know that most people I know are not subjectively or interpersonally racist, but But can we go deep with ourselves and look and ask, are there ways that we have been complicit in a system that has valued white supremacy? I don't mean weird groups of people when I say white supremacy. I mean, simply put, for 400 years, whiteness was the norm in our culture. And we've been given a leg up. It's hard to talk about it like that right now because we are filtering everything through so much political ideology and divisiveness, but it seems like that's what God is calling us to, a deeper introspection and look. It's so hard to tell you that. It's been hard to talk to to good, well-meaning Christians who claim the notion of pro-life, to say to them that, Being pro-life can't simply be anti-abortion. You got to care for the poor, the orphan, the widow. You got to care for creation. To be pro-life means to care about the end-of-life practices that we participate in. It means to care about prisoners. It means that when we live in a pandemic, we don't go by cavalierly. Saw an argument online. People saying they won't wear a mask anymore. And I know there's a whole lot of doubt about what will spread things and won't spread things. But here's the thing. I heard people say, good Christians, good people of God, I assume. I don't want to wear it anymore. I'm over it. That is, by the way, not a very strong medical argument. I don't want to wear it anymore. I'm over it. It's my right as an American. You know, why are Christians trading on rights all the time? There's a place for it. But you know, there's, a, there's something much more foundational than rights when it comes to Christianity, don't you? Things like virtue and character. When we get to the, to the language of rights, all we do is argue endlessly. That's what that does. But what does it mean before we're asking what my right is? What does it mean to say, how can I be hospitable to someone else? Or how can I be kind? Or more. How can I love another person? I asked my friend, perhaps it's your right not to wear a mask, but maybe loving someone else is the reason to do so. I can't believe that is part of a culture war. It's been hard preaching in 2020 when I think the will of God is to be told to the people of God. I spent too much time in the cesspit and cesspool of Facebook. Have you? Get off it. I plead with you. I'm on there seeing Christians say stuff that would make non-Christians never want to be Christians. Last week I pleaded with us to listen, and I feel like as I step in the pulpit now, I've not moved the needle at all, because I see a lot of talking and speaking and arguing and just putting ideas out there without editorializing the mind and heart. I was with a neighbor yesterday. She's a non-believer, and she told me that she saw this Christian say something on Facebook, and I said, that's not what the church teaches, which then she looked at me confused because her friend is a Christian who goes to church, and I recognize the fact that I can't claim to have the language of the entirety of the church, so I simply tried to draw out from the great deep tradition of Christianity, from the scriptures to the church fathers and doctors, to what we say. Oh, it's a witness, friends, good or bad. It's so hard to preach like this right now, to tell you these things in 2020. And then there's this, people want you to draw a line and be on one side or another. So hard this year. I'm gonna tell you that I support police. I pray for police. I reached out to the police department this week out of love and respect for good officers. As soon as I say that, Many people are going to assume what category I fit in. Because I also support us sort of figuring out what how police brutality happens. I also support going after that and having reform and how we police. I don't think you can put one thing, me in one category, another. I'm just trying to follow the gospel and, and tell you it's but it's hard in 2020. I feel a bit like Jeremiah, I think you probably do too. All these things and more have been weighing on you. I can tell it. I know that you're trying, oh, Christian. So what do we do? Do we keep doubting our vacations and then throw up our hands and say, that's it, I quit. Maybe I should go into IT instead. Maybe I should retreat to my basement and not poke my head out to see what's going on in the world. Do I I turn people off who I don't? want to hear from? I think this is where we learn another profound lesson from the scriptures and particularly from Jeremiah. This is a time for us to lament. And as I say that, that's the most controversial thing I've said in this message to you. Because if America has a pathos, it is that we don't like to lament. It is that we want to hurry up now and be happy. We want contentment and fulfillment yesterday, not tomorrow, We don't like lament. We want to go to church. We want to be inspired. We want to hear about our best life now. We want to hear about how our guilt can be assuaged and we can go on to heavenly ideals. But if that were the content of all our messages, it would be untruthful to life. Lament is the language that reminds us that we are all contingent needy people that each one of us will suffer and have trials, that each one of us will be touched by tragedy. Lament is helpful because it is buttressed by a profound hope, it is moved by a profound hope because lament is the ability to cry out for a better world and somewhere in there is the hope of that better world. Lament is not simply sorrow. In fact, I think it is the antidote for throwing up our hands and quitting. This is too much for me. I'm over it. I think when we learn the language of lament, we can properly acknowledge that the world we live in is fallen or broken or however you want to describe it. It purely is not the kingdom of God. But in there is that, that hopefulness that says we're trying to bring the kingdom of God, the heaven as it were, to earth as our great prayer teaches us to pray. You're fatigued in your vocation, maybe. I know we all are. Let us learn these words from Jeremiah to just be honest to God and walk through it. Listen to how he ends this lament. Sing to the Lord, Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of evildoers. Lament what is not right. Walk through your vocation right now, speaking the words of God to a broken world steadily. Walk steadily. Be honest to God. Yet, sing a new song of hope. That God is still God. I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.